Section 6 of The Voyage of the Pox and Allegory by Dom Bede Kam, OSB. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Mozart Jr. I heard Calixtus whisper to Symphorian after the last echoes of the hymn had died away. Before that star has set, our journey will be ended. Courage, then, brother, for me thinks the worst is over. Truly, for me the worst is over, was the reply, as Symphorian's hand clasped for a moment the prince's sign around his neck. And here my attention was drawn to little Theodore. He was evidently weary, and he had laid down to rest in the bow of the vessel. One of his arms, hanging over the side of the boat, almost touched the waves as they rose and fell. I was wondering whether it were safe to let him sleep in so dangerous a position, when I saw that the watchful eye of the captain had also noticed the child. Calling Agathos, he bade him rouse his little brother. Agathos went forward to do so, and on coming near, called to him, Theodore, Theodore. The child woke with a start, and seeing his brother, made as if he would rise to run to him. But, as he was getting up, I saw him stumble, and the vessel then pitching suddenly forward, he lost his footing and fell overboard. What a piteous cry the poor child gave. Agathos, Agathos! Without a moment's hesitation, the elder brother, dressed as he was, plunged into the waves after him. But quickly as this was done, the child was already carried far away, and I saw that his brother's task would be no easy one in that stormy sea. Meanwhile, on board the pox, all was activity. By the direction of the captain, the course of the vessel was turned, so as to come as near as possible to the brothers. And then I suddenly heard a shriek, and as I looked I saw the triangular fin of some horrid monster of the deep making straight for the drowning boy. Those on board saw it, too, and fell upon their knees. There was one exception, however. Almost at the same time that the cry arose, I heard another plunge, and saw that a second swimmer was hastening to the rescue. It was Calixtus. Oh, how breathlessly I watched the brave boy on his perilous errand. Bravely he breasted the raging waters, and each powerful stroke lessened the distance between him and the child. Agathos, too, was now come near, but would they reach him before the gaping jaws of the monster had closed around him? I hardly dared look. At last I heard a cry of joy from the pox. Agathos has got him, he is safe now. And now indeed I saw Agathos, his face deadly pale, clasping with one arm his brother's senseless form, while with the other he struck out for the pox. And Calixtus, I could not see him. Had he sunk in the raging waters? Had he fallen a victim to the monster? My heart beat high with anxiety as I gazed. But no, his head reappeared between the brothers and the dark form of the monster. Make haste to the boat, I heard him shout to Agathos. I will keep off the monster till ye are safe. Splashing with hands and feet, he boldly swum towards the frightful form, and as the creature opened his vast jaws to devour him, I shuddered, expecting the next moment to see the waters reddened with the boy's lifeblood. But Calixtus, taking the prince's sign which hung around his neck, thrust it boldly into the monster's open jaws, and lo, as by enchantment, the evil creature turned and disappeared. And as the glad songs went up to heaven from the deck of the pox, I saw Agathos and little Theodore kneeling before the captain of the ship. And a third form knelt beside them. But was this Calixtus? Sunny-haired and bright as he had ever been, winning and beautiful to look upon, but now brightness that was not of earth played round his form, and his eyes were fixed upward with an expression so heavenly, so ecstatic, that all gazed at him in awe. And then I saw standing before him on the deck a form I had never seen erstwhile. It was a young man, fair and beautiful, clad in a long garment woven, as it seemed, of gold and crystal. Upon his brow burned a clear bright star, and his bare feet seemed aflame. 
In his hand he bore a branch of palm, with golden fruit and great white wings overshadowed his princely head. As the boys caught sight of him, they were filled with awe and fell upon their knees. "'Rise, child,' said the captain's voice, "'for this is a messenger from the prince. Perchance he hath come to announce to you the prince's will.' But the prince's messenger, gazing upon Calixtus, said in a voice sweet and clear as a silver flute, "'Child, thy task is done, and the prince hath sent for thee.' And then, before the others scarce knew what words had fallen from his lips, he bent down swiftly and kissed the kneeling boy gently on the brow, and placed in his hand the palm branch with the golden fruit. And then, gathering him in his arms, as a mother takes her tired babe, he spread his mighty pinions white as the driven snow, and flashed across the sea as passes the summer lightning, and was gone. Gone so swiftly that their eyes could not follow him. Gone, but not alone. For Calixtus was gone too, and gone without a word. The little Theodore burst into passionate weeping, and the others could not forbear from tears. "'Hush, my child, and hearken,' said the father's voice. Far away beyond the eastern horizon, below the star of the sea, they could still see a light flashing in distant splendor, while on their ears came echoes of melody, like the sound of many waters, and the song, methought, shaped itself into words, and ran, "'Maiorem caritatem nemo habet, ut animam suam ponat quis pro amici suis.' Ubi caritas et amor Deus ibi est. Yes, children, continued the old man, and his voice seemed broken, though his eyes were dry. Ye have lost your brother, but not indeed for long. He has but gone before you, and soon shall ye meet him again. Weep not, for he is happy, and this great reward hath the prince given him, because he feared not to lay down his life to save his friend. O oh, happy Calixtus, said Agathos, father, think ye he will remember us sometimes? Nay, doubt it not. He hath entered before you into the presence chamber, and now he standeth with the blessed one before the prince's throne. But he is the same Calixtus as of old, the Calixtus who pleaded for Symphorian, and be sure that he will be pleading with the prince for you. O oh, father, father, it was all my fault, wailed little Theodore. We have lost him through me. Thou wast off thy guard, and so didst fall into great peril, said the captain gravely, and having fallen from the ship, Nature indeed there was, lest thou shouldst have become a victim of the evil monster, heresy, which ever haunts these seas, seeking whom it may devour. But thy error was rather one of weakness than of malice. Weep not then, my child, for the prince hath pardoned thee. And as he said these words, the old man's hand rested lightly for a moment on the child's bowed head. And were not Calixtus and I in danger from the monster? asked Agathos timidly. Nay, for ye braved its malice to save the child, and this cruel monster is cowardly, and ever fleeth before the prince's sign. Ye know what the prince hath said. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee, and called thee by thy name, and thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee, and the deep shall overwhelm thee not. But our good prince, seeing that Calixtus had such love, and that charity made him to wax exceeding bold, saw that he was already worthy to stand before his face. And so he sent for him, added Agathos softly. Happy Calixtus. And thou, my Agathos, art worthy too, whispered little Theodore, as he flung his arms round his brother's neck. But the good prince knew that I should be lost indeed without thy care. Oh, Agathos, Agathos, keep me safe until we see the prince and dear Calixtus at his side. And then I saw that Symphorian, who now wore the sable tunic of the Pax's crew, was weeping bitterly apart from the rest, as one who would not be comforted. But Agathos and Theodore went to the poor boy, and told him that they would do their best to take the place of his lost friend, and that Calixtus would not like him to grieve. And little Theodore prattled to him of the happy days in store when they would sit around the prince's feet in the golden city, and how Calixtus would be there, never more to be parted from them, 
and after a time he was comforted. And so the good ship Pox plowed her way into the deepening twilight through the raging billows, and still the star in the east shone brightly, and the songs went up unceasingly to heaven. It were a long story to relate all that befell her on her way. Let it suffice to see her enter the haven whither she was bound. The darkness had by this time grown near, only the light of the Mari Stella shone steadily overhead. The aged captain broke at last the silence which had fallen on the ship. Sons, he exclaimed, we have now but to double the point and thread the straits which separate us from our haven of rest. But this is the most perilous part of our voyage. Watch and be alert. Follow my instructions, and all will be well. A cold, icy blast swept sudden on them from the point. The waves rose higher and higher under its furious assault. The blackness of the night was now intense, and now the height on either side seemed to close in on them and hem them in. I could but see the faces of the young crew by the light of the lantern which hung at the masthead. They were pale, but full of hope and courage. Agathos was laboring like a hero at the oar, and Symphorian was not far behind him in zeal. The boat rolled and pitched so that it was exceedingly difficult to keep a straight course, while to strike against the black pitiless rocks on either side would have meant instant destruction. The steersman's eyes were fixed upon the star, and ever and anon the mariners raised their voices in the hymn, Ave Maria Stella. Agathos kept repeating to himself some lines of this hymn, which seemed to run thus, Vitam presapuram iter paratutum, ut videntes jesum semper coletemor. Theodore gave once a startled cry as a wave flung itself over the bulwarks, and its black waters laved his feet, but a look at Agathos's calm, steadfast face speedily restored his courage. Suddenly, with a wild shriek, the gale burst on them with redoubled fury, extinguishing the lantern at the helm. The blackness closed around so that I could see no more. Only one voice pierced the awful darkness. It was the voice of the aged captain. Subvenite sancti dei, accorite angeli domini, it cried. I fell upon my knees and prayed. It seemed to me that the darkness was full of winged beings, evil and horrible, and that their wild cries of rage and hatred mingled with the shrieking of the gale. There was an awful malignity, a despairing hatred about these unseen beings that chilled my blood. Was it possible that the ship could weather so many dangers? I could not even see the star. Suddenly there was a lull in the crash and fury of the elements, one last wild shriek and then a calm. The darkness lifted like a curtain, and then I saw. The pox had passed the awful straits in safety, and was now in calm water. The lads had shipped their oars and were kneeling round their captain on the deck. They were all there and unhurt. A gentle breeze filled out the sails of the vessel, and bore them swiftly towards the land. I gazed towards the shore. A light, brighter far and yet softer than the sun, lit up the sky with a pearly radiance, and fell upon the water in beams that traced a path of liquid gold for the vessel of the Blessed One. The light seemed to string forth from amidst purple mountains, which rose tall and stately from the water's edge. But I knew it was the light of the golden city, whose beauty I have man hath not seen, nor can it enter into his heart to conceive. Swiftly and silently the pox sped on her way along the path of light. Kneeling with clasped hands and upturned faces, the young mariners gazed towards the shore. Thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty, and behold the land which is very far off, whispered Agathos, as he pressed his brother's hand. And now the light grew ever brighter and more dazzling, and it seemed to me that there, mingled in its beams, I could trace forms of dazzling brightness, as though a procession of the blessed was streaming out along that golden path to welcome the mariners home. 
it seemed to me that this procession was headed by the form of a venerable man with a long flowing beard and hair white as driven snow all radiant with a glory such as mine eyes had ne'er beheld nor my heart dreamed of and at his side i saw a fair-haired boy whom i knew at once again it was calixtus the same calixtus as of old but transfigured and radiant like the sun and in that blessed company were young and old men and maidens of all ages and all climes and they were clad in garments like unto those worn by the young mariners of the pox only that these were not of sable hue but white and glistening as if woven of pure light was it the blessed one himself with the company of his chosen come forth to welcome home the weary mariners i know not for as i gazed the light grew ever brighter and more intense until i was fain to veil my eyes but upon my ears there smote a melody surpassing in sweetness any song of earth and i deemed that it was hymned forth by choirs antiphonal methought the first strain was raised by agathos and his comrades and that the alternate strain was taken up by that bright company who had come forth to welcome them and thus the song Laetatus sum in his quae dicta sunt mihi in domum domini ibimus and the response stantes erant pedes nostri in atris tuis jerusalem and thus the alternate strain rose and fell in waves of melody surpassing sweet across the pearly sea until it died away upon my ravished ears and i awoke i o g d end of section six end of the voyage of the pox in allegory by dom bede cum osb